Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. This is Issues 2020. I'm Steve McIntosh, and our guest is Eric Kale, Executive Director, Wichita Century County Historical Museum. Welcome to Issues 2020. Hi, Steve. Thanks for having me. Now, how have you been operating the museum during the pandemic? What things have you been doing there? Well, we've been we've been very careful. We um, follow all the guidelines that we've been handed through uh, Sedgwick County and and the City of Wichita, and we're located in a, a Wichita city-owned building, the original uh, city hall. Uh, and so we we follow all the same rules they do at the city building. Now, now in this program, we're, we're going to focus on local history as this year we celebrate Wichita's sesquicentennial. That's the 150th birthday. City charter was signed in 1870 with at least one signee of some note. That would be Mrs. McCarty. Tell us about this woman, please. Oh, yes. Uh Catherine McCarty um, is is famous for being the the only uh, woman to sign the charter, um, and uh, along with uh, one African American uh, gentleman, Richard Robinson, and then 122 others, uh, um, all white men who signed that uh, charter in 1870. And so, Mrs. McCarty's son went to, made some uh, made a name for himself down in New Mexico. Who was that? Yes, um, well, his name was William, and he he spent his early life here in Wichita, and it was actually, uh, as I recall, written up in the Wichita Eagle a time or two as uh, referred to as a street urchin, <laughs> and later uh, became quite notorious in New Mexico as Billy the Kid. All right, now now before that, let's go back to eighteen sixty four. Of course, uh, Kansas came into, the state came in as a free state, and in 1864, uh, Jesse Chisholm established a trading post here. Tell us about Jesse Chisholm, Eric. Well, he's a very interesting early figure of influence, not just here in Wichita, but uh, all through the Southwest. He uh, he moved, he was of Scottish descent through his father, and uh, uh uh, he was um, uh, Cheyenne uh, by his mother, and it was a matrilineal line. So he's considered of his mother's people, and they they moved eventually to the Oklahoma area in those days, um, known as Indian Territory. And he became famous uh, as a as a sort of a very diplomatic trader, uh, speaking many different languages, and uh, become becoming widely known and respected. He came to the uh, Arkansas River Valley, our area, 
uh, first in the 1830s and in the 1860s ended up uh, establishing a, a trading post here when business became more viable. Of course, if folks are familiar with the Chisholm Trail running north and south, goes right down through the middle of Wichita. Was that a, a cattle trail, a trade trail? What was that? Yes, after Chisholm's death, um, it, his, the trail he established became uh, known by his name as the Chisholm Trail and was widely used in the post-war cattle trade in the uh, cattle era, right about the same time the, uh, the city was being established. 1868, James R. Meade established another trading post here, and Meade did a lot of exploring around this area, and he did a lot to did a lot to really get this town going, didn't he? Yeah, he he was first in this part of the country. Um, he came here at a very young age to trade and and be an adventurer. He was also uh, really uh, uh, ended up being kind of an anthropologist as well, but he. Um, he established himself in Tawanda initially, and then in about 1863, uh, first laid eyes on uh, our our area, the River Valley, and it's it's a very interesting account. His uh, his biography, his autobiography, his uh, memoir is a very interesting reading. And his descendants uh, still live here. Some people. Yes, uh, his grandson. Uh, and uh, great-granddaughter, both uh, live here in Wichita yet today. Now, continuing with the Wichita timeline, 1872, the Wichita Eagle newspaper and the Wichita Daily Beacon uh, began publication. Tell us about the newspapers. Well, the newspapers in those days were the the way you communicated. Uh, It was really the only media out there. It was uh, uh, pretty immediate. Uh, The the first newspaper in Wichita started in 1870 by a guy named Fred Sowers, who came here from Leavenworth and uh, called the paper The Vidette. And um, I think it was a weekly initially. He eventually uh, uh, grew that paper and changed the name to The Beacon. And The Eagle, a competing paper at that time, uh, run by the uh, Murdochs, um, uh, was uh, a real promotional tool and drew a lot of people through a very savvy publication and promotion of the city. It drew a lot of people to this very spot, Wichita. And why did they come here? Other than good publicity, were they looking for something specific or just uh, in those days, just looking for a new life and, and interesting things to do? Yeah, well, you know, you think about um, Kansas entering the Union in 1861, just as the Civil War broke out, and uh, give it five years, and uh, then uh, the uh, the um, treaty is signed here, which opens up, it acquires the land from the Indians, and um, opens up the area for settlement, and so post-war people were moving west again and just flooded into this area. It was um, uh, just a a place that was well promoted and the next step west. So um, Kansas at that time became known uh, for the greatest uh, post-war migration destination of any state. I think Lincoln himself said if he were to go anywhere, he would move to Kansas. Well, you, you mentioned the Indian president, and they, there was, there was a treaty that uh, this, there were a number of tribes that, that signed that treaty, right? Yeah, uh, the signers of the um, 
It's called the Treaty of the Little Arkansas. It was signed up near uh, 61st Street North in Seneca along the river. There's a little monument up there. Um, and it was signed by the Kiowa, the Comanche, the Plains Apache, the South Cheyenne, uh, and the South Southern Arapaho. Um, and um, and they all ceded the, the land to the government at that point. And uh, it was placed in an uh, instrument known as the Osage Indian Trust Lands. Yeah. You, uh, in those early days, there were some, I should say, some interesting characters living and working here, and some of them coming through and, and going on to even more fame and fortune, including a fellow named uh, Wyatt Earp and another guy named Bat Masterson, a couple of fascinating characters. Yeah, an amazing array of um, people traveled through. Some of them stayed for a while, um, uh, including Wyatt Earp and Bat Masterson. Uh, Bat Masterson's parents moved here as well. They're uh, um, interred up at Highland Cemetery on Hillside Street, along with a lot of other interesting um, pioneers um, on, at both of those cemeteries. It's sort of an outdoor museum, which would be an attractive thing these days when going inside isn't uh, recommended. <laughs> right. Now another step forward involves education. In 1892, Fairmount Institute, Institute opened, later to become Wichita State University, and then in 1898, Garfield University opened. That would later become French University. Tell us about that. You know, um, Wichita, um, being an up-and-coming uh, town uh, with with uh, a lot of ambition, uh, established several universities. Um, and this is at a point in the history where um, we've become the fastest-growing city in the United States in the in the late 1880s. And a uh, Garfield is interesting. That building was designed by two architects here in in Wichita that are known nationally. They were here during the boom years. They designed our building, the original City Hall, which is now the museum building, and Davis Hall, which, what's known as Davis Hall, which was originally Garfield University. Everything here was named after a, a Union Civil War general, it seems like, and Garfield was right at the top. Of course, he was president and... Um, and uh, uh, very popular figure. The uh, the Union veterans had had a lot of power in Wichita at that time, and uh, their post was called the Garfield Post. You mentioned uh, the the architecture. Now, the building that you're in, as you say, the original city hall is located at is it Maine and Water William? Yeah, yeah, Maine and William. We're yeah. just uh, east of Century Two, and you can see the similarity between that building and the, the Garfield Hall or what the Davis Administration Building that's currently on the French University campus. It looks like they're they're sisters or something. Yeah, yeah, they really are nice companion buildings. Very interesting, um, and and both places. Uh, anyone interested in architecture and local history should visit. You're listening to Issues 2020 on the Intercom radio stations, and our guest is Eric Kale, Executive Director, Wichita Sedgwick County Historical Museum. We do, I want to back up just a little bit, Eric, and, and you've been having visitors come into the museum. So I, I presume under the, the city guidelines or rules, uh, do they have to wear a mask in there at all times, or uh, is, how does that work? Yes, that's required here. Uh, we require a mask, and, and of course these things are becoming... Uh, uh, common 
social etiquette now yeah. um, with the um, social distancing and, and so forth. We, we limit the number of people who come here, but actually uh, the historical museum is really a light traffic destination anyway, uh, so that's not a problem. Uh, we have sort of curtailed our, our big events where we have hundreds and hundreds of people here. Of course, that can't happen right now. So we've we've uh, pushed the pause button on that. But yeah. it's still a great place to come and learn, especially in the sesquicentennial year, just about the the heritage of your community. Yeah, right. And you're on, is it four floors that you're on right now? Uh-huh. We have over two dozen different exhibits, and our exhibits are you know, kind of encyclopedic in scope because uh, local history includes everything. Um, we tell our story. You know, it's not a video. It's not a book. It's, uh, we tell a story through artifacts. So we have uh, almost 80,000 artifacts in our collection. We've been collecting them for 80 years now. So uh, it's some fascinating stuff all arranged to tell the story of our our local story. Now, in the early 1970s, my wife, uh, we were newly married, and she actually worked in City Hall down there at the Human Resources Department. I don't know, the fourth or third or fourth floor. So she actually worked in that building before it became a museum. Oh, it might have been with Dale Richmond. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, he's he's one of our... um, our board presidents were a, a nonprofit, uh, and uh, we have a, a nice board that does uh, a lot of work for the museum. But we, um, yeah, they, I hear stories all the time. Now, to come in here today, if you worked in those days, you would not recognize the place because we've renovated it uh, to more of an original Victorian right, uh, right. appearance so that it we treat it as an artifact in a way. Mm-hmm. And, and it's also um, been entirely redone. It, it had been remodeled modeled nearly a half a dozen times over the uh, nearly 80 years it served as City Hall. So uh, we had a lot of work to do when we got it. One of the fascinating parts of the museum that uh, for my grandchildren, when I brought them down there, they were absolutely fascinated by two things. One of them was the phone booth, that you, <laughs> the telephone booth yes. that you have, and the <laughs> other was the typewriter. And it, the kids were just astounded by those. <laughs> it's a great connection, uh, intergenerational connection for uh, uh, older people to connect with younger people, and uh, a lot of conversations and fun get started here. But the uh, the telephone booth is unique. Um I don't know if there are any others in town, but uh, this one still works for a dime. So. Now, the, getting back to history now, the, the aviation industry got started here in the 20s and 30s. And Tell us a little bit about Cessna and Beach and Boeing and, and then later Learjet. Tell us about aviation. Well, a, the aviation story here is, is really uh, exceptional. And um, it really started... In 1911, at a air show that was put on, it was a traveling air show, and and you think about how new that was. Uh, automobiles were brand new. Most people used horses until the the 20s, um, and so. Um, but at the same time, here come these airplanes. The Wright brothers made them famous in Le Mans, France, in 1908, and in just a couple of years. They're here out on the prairie doing a show, and that inspired a lot of uh, local people, um, farmers who were great inventors, very uh, entrepreneurial by 
nature, uh, started building planes like Clyde Cessna and so forth. And then the oil money that came up was able to fund an industry where some of these uh, these really innovative um, plane builders were able to go into business. So, um, and that that just that happened from the get go, and it and it's uh, hung on. It was nearly killed in the depression, but it was uh, revised uh, revived in World War II, where we you know, became a major, major manufacturer. The uh, the airport, the first airport out in the southeast part of town, has this terrific building. That's still there, and it's a beautiful building. And then a new build, uh, a new airport built in 1953 out on the west side. Tell us about the airports a little bit. Yeah, you know, and in fact, the original, uh, what was considered the original city airport was right over where Beechcraft is today, out on Webb and you know, central around in there. Oh, okay, yeah. Uh, there was actually a municipal airport there. They built the really, the really first nice one, uh, and this is a, once we became known as the air capital. Uh, that was built uh, and is now the Kansas Aviation Museum over by uh, McConnell Air Force Base off of Oliver. Um, and so that's a, that's a great destination. As you're learning about your local heritage, be sure and visit that museum as well. Yeah. Uh, um, and then in the 50s, uh, they, they abandoned that, turned it over to the United States government and the Air Force, and uh, built the, the one, um, well, we, we have a, a new one yeah. now, but it's at the old location out on West Kellogg. Right. Now, I'm going to talk to you a little bit about Dockham, the Dockham Drugstore sit-in, which is, I think, in downtown Wichita, I believe, 1958. And, uh, you know, North Carolina always gets credit for the first sit-in regarding civil rights and so forth. But I I think Dockham must have been before that. Tell us about the Dockham sit-in. Yes, the Dockham Drugstore sit-in was the first successful uh, civil rights, student-led civil rights sit-in. For, that opened up drugstore counters uh, to serve um, all people. And um, it was little known uh, nationally. It, it led the way to the, the sit-in movement that took hold through the 60s and uh, kind of culminated with the Civil Rights Act in 1964, uh, but this one, in fact, uh, a lot of the participants were young people who kept who kept their activities even secret from their parents, uh, who would not have allowed them to put themselves in harm's way by uh, doing a sit-in where they were not where they were not welcome downtown. So uh, it really is a national first and something uh, the community can really be proud of. Talk about some of the great companies that began in Wichita: the White White Castle Hamburger, Coleman Pizza Hut, Renner Center. Tell us about that a little bit. Yeah, I mean. Um, to, to make it here in Wichita, you had to be um, innovative and smart and uh, and ready to try something new. And a lot of that has happened. Um, um, you could write volumes of books about uh, the different businesses that began here. But one thing that uh, was very timely, you know, there's aviation, sure. Um, there's... Um, Fast food, though, and there's a, a great kind of uh, modern uh, food service story that was told here. It kind of began with White Castle, uh, and um, 
you know, they had a whole new concept. They, they dressed up. It was all about sanitation and cleanliness and, and ease. And, uh, um, you know, it's about getting food quickly. Yeah. And, yeah. and, and, uh, it was it was brilliant, um, and that it's led to a whole nother tradition of, from uh, uh, Pizza Hut, of course, in '58 again, and then uh, Taco Tico, uh, a great early concept. Freddy's, um, uh, you know, they just they just keep coming. It, Wichita's a great place for that. Um, and uh, yeah, Renna Center, a national another national concept. It's it's all I think with the entrepreneurial spirit and uh, uniqueness, um, uh, a lot of forward progressive thinking in Wichita through the years. Century Two uh, Convention Center and and uh, and the library opened in 1969, and now there's <laughs> there's a movement on to try to preserve them, but they were really something when they opened up in '69. Yeah, you know, and we're we're looking back to our centennial year 50 years ago. And uh, that was a big time for Wichita because you think, you know, uh, people uh, themselves have a lifespan of 50 years. So there were people around who who saw the whole thing uh pretty much happen here. Um and it was it was a big thing to turn a hundred. So they, this was a time of urban renewal. They were taking out a, a lot of old buildings uh, that had been used up, and they were building something for the next century. Is is what they thought the the library building, which is very exceptional. It's a, um, in, in terms of architecture, it's it's called brutalism, brutalist architecture, locally designed, and then Century Two is iconic as. Uh, as a building also. Um, so uh, that was a big time for Wichita, the, the Garvey Center and nice. the Holiday Inn building uh, um, were, were all built. I want, you to, I want you to be philosophical a little bit for me. Share, share your thoughts with me on the study of history and the preservation of history. Well, I, I love history. What, what are your thoughts on that? Well, you know, history is... History is essential. Uh, it's, it's essentially the the, the story, uh, our story, and it uh, knowing it gives you a sense of identity, gives you a sense of um, self-esteem. It's also a uh, cautionary tales to learn from and make decisions by. Uh, so it's it's very important to be familiar with your history. Otherwise, you're just uh, making all the same mistakes uh, anyone would make. Over um, and over again, yeah. Yeah, so uh, it's also fascinating, and really um, it's interesting for young people to see that, uh, you know, there's there's a story behind all of this. Yeah. Uh, it's interesting for old people, older people, because it's, um, you know, it's nostalgic, and you can reflect on, uh, where you've been and where things are going. So it's 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 very important. Um, you don't have to be a historian to appreciate it. Eric, how can people uh, get involved with the Wichita Sedgwick County Historical Museum? Yeah, if... Well, I would suggest just coming and visit. Um, we, uh, we're downtown, um, and we uh, get people through every day who say say to us that they've lived here their entire lives, and they've not only never had been here, but realized we were here. So 
I, I would suggest coming and visiting. Um, we have um, a very low admission fee and some free days. If you follow us on social media, we're under Wichita History as one word, and we we have all we put a lot of information out that way. Great museum, uh, there's a, as you say. Less. Lots and lots of artifacts and things like typewriters and phone booths. At the, and our kids, our grandkids just had a ball. They loved it down there. And uh, I'm glad to hear that. That's what we were hoping for. All right. Hey, listen, thanks for spending some time with us. And I'm sure you're going to make sure everything's as clean as possible down there. Folks can come down and visit you at the, at the museum. And, and again, thanks for being with us, Eric. As Thank we celebrate you, the sesquicentennial of Wichita, the 150th anniversary. Our guest, Eric Kale, Executive Director Wichita, Sedgwick County Historical Museum. That's all for this edition of Issues 2020, and we'll be back next week. Thank you for listening. I'm Steve McIntosh. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up, and your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app, the biggest sports radio stations in the country, providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives, streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. 